Well, it's certainly a joy to be with you tonight. Uh, God bless you. I always enjoy Wednesday night and getting to preach to the faithful people of the church. What a blessing that is. It's almost like family night, Wednesday night. That's when the church gathers, and uh, what a joy it is. I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed getting to teach at the college. I don't know if anyone else has learned anything, but I have relearned everything I've been teaching. I thought, oh, that's a good point. I'll use I, I, I'd like to redo things and, and just carry all those things out again. What a blessing that is. If you take your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13, if you will, 2 Kings chapter 13. I'm going to speak tonight on the subject, the effect of a life, the effect of the life of a life. And we're using the life of Elisha, Elisha. Now that's no ordinary life, granted. Uh, Elisha was a man who was a farmer, as it were, uh, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and the Spirit of the Lord directed Elijah to go and throw his mantle over him and ordain him as the next prophet of the, of the uh, area of God's people. And, of course, after that, Elijah is going to have his homecoming and go up in a whirlwind and all of those things. But now Elisha... Uh, requested a double portion of God's Spirit. So he's no ordinary man. God has used him in remarkable ways. Twice as many miracles are recorded of Elisha than we see in the life of Elijah, as great a prophet as Elijah was. And, uh, but now he comes to his life, as all of us will, and we're going to look at the effect of a life. I want to see what his life and what he's doing here in his old age He's, uh, he's not long for this earth. We see this in the passage. In fact, before we finish reading this passage, he will already have expired, and time has elapsed, and he's been buried. And then there's another little incident that happens after he is buried for a while. And so let's start reading in verse 14, if you will. The Bible says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, wherein he died, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hand. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Apec till thou hast consumed them. And he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground, and he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and he said, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou had consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of, in of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. 
Now that's an unusual passage, isn't it? That is an amazing thing. You go to a burial service and the guy jumps up out of the grave and uh, that, that could spook a few people. But it shows the power that was still in those bones of Elisha. It shows that he was a very special man. And I want us to look at the effect of a life. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll get right into the message. Father, thank you for this opportunity to speak to these good people in this great church. And I do pray you'll be with your dear pastor, Lord, as he's preaching uh, tonight. And I pray that you'll use him as you always do, Lord. Your hand of blessing is upon him and his life and his ministry. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless people all around this world proclaiming your word in all the different languages. Just next door in Spanish, Lord, would you bless those dear people. But Lord, we've gathered tonight to hear from your word and more particularly to hear what the Spirit of God wants to speak from your word to our heart. And Lord, we didn't come to listen to a man. we come to listen to God. And Lord, I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm nothing. I know that. But dear Father, your word is powerful and quick. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, dear Lord. And I know that it can speak to our hearts. I know the Holy Spirit who indwells us desires to use the word of God to speak his will, his heart to our heart. So Father, I pray that that would happen. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage, we find this great prophet, Elisha, coming to the end of his life. And for most of us, as we read it, it would be, well, it's just a story. Except for the fact that when you read through the Bible, you come to portions of Scripture that says, and these were written for your admonition. So in other words, there's no place in the Bible where it's just filler. It's just information. It's just trying to fill up a book. Every word is there for a purpose, and every story is told for a purpose, and everyone has an application. And that is an application that the Holy Spirit of God wants to bring to our lives. And that's why the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. And we don't always get it just reading through, but sometimes we meditate and not. We, we say, what does that mean for me? Why is that in there for me? What does God want to say to me? And so I've just got some very practical things that I trust will be a help to us. It's all found in the text right there, and it's nothing profound. Uh, I, I told someone, I have no life-changing messages. I think if you'll give me a few years, I'll, I can help some people, but I have no one message that turns anyone's life around. But the Word of God is so powerful that, that a, a junior boy could get up and, and preach the Word of God, and he could preach it with power because the power's not in the person. It's always in the Word. And it's always empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And whenever the Word of God is proclaimed or taught, whether in discipleship or Sunday school or lessons or witnessing, whenever the Word of God is shared, there's power in the Word. And remember that when you're witnessing, the power's not in you. Doesn't have, you don't have to be outgoing. You don't have to be effervescent. You don't have to be, uh, uh, you know, I can't talk good. Well, you don't have to. You just have to share scripture. It'll do the rest. The power is inherent in the word. 
And here we have this gentleman, this godly man. We don't know a whole lot about him. We see his miracles. We see how God worked, him, uh, worked through him. We see how he was called. We see the, how he was a servant who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And that's one thing. We learn to be a servant through that. But in this passage, just a few things about the worth of a life, the effect of a life. The first thing we see is we serve for a time. We serve for a time. Now, he's a great man. Great men pass off the scene. Great women pass off the We all pass off the scene. So it really doesn't matter how great God uses you. You know, Spurgeon, he's gone. Moody, he's in heaven. Dr. Hiles, he's in heaven. And many great men that God has used and many great women that God has used. And the truth is, every single one of us, we live for a time. And we serve for a time. And the secret is to let God use the time that we have for him. The Bible tells us that our time is very short. It tells us in uh, verses uh, 14 of chapter 13, now Elijah was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died, and Josiah, jo Joash, king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 8 says this, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of his death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. In other words, when death comes from you, you're not going to avoid it. Now, I, I don't know when that is. I, I praise God for physicians, doctors, nurses, medicines, uh, all of those things. Naturopathic thing, you know, get a patch of mustard, put it on cloth, put it on your forehead, under your feet. On your, I don't know what, all, you know, there's so many different things. Try it all, but you're still going to die. Now, I'm not saying don't try things, try to live, because hopefully the longer we live, the more we get to serve. But one of these days, God calls our number. God calls our name. And when he does, there is no getting out of that. There's no deferment to God's call when it's our time to go. And by the way, as Christians, that's not a sad time. That's a happy time, right? I hope my funeral's a celebration. It ought to be. I'm in heaven. Don't, don't weep for me. Weep for yourself if you want to. But, but I'm happy and looking forward to it. In James chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. So it really doesn't matter whether we live to be 60 or 70 or 80 or over 100. Still, life is just a vapor. You know, if you talk to uh, people who are up in years, I happen to be a, a qualified senior citizen now of my own right. And uh, so I get to work with uh, our best years club, our senior citizens, and you know, the one thing they'll all have in common is it doesn't matter how old they are, they're just as young as they were when they were 18 up here. I mean, they feel like I'm a young person, just an old body. I have a young soul inside this old aging body. 
And still guys think, yeah, I could dunk that. Yeah, you used to 50 years ago, you know, but not now. Your knees won't even take it. But we have this in our mind. But one of these days, that vapor of a life vanishes, and we are with the Lord. On Thursday, December 21st, 1899, after cutting short a Kansas City revival, D.L. Moody went home because he wasn't feeling well. And he told his family, he said, I'm not discouraged. I want to live as long as I'm useful, but when my work is done, I want to be up and out. The next day, Mr. Moody awakened. And after a restless night, and he, he said to his son, Will, he said, Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. And his son, Will, concluded that his father was dreaming. But D.O. Moody said, no, this is not a dream, Will. It's beautiful. It is like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. What a wonderful way for a Christian to go to heaven, amen? Looking for the Lord. And that's true. We all serve for a time. But that's why we must be busy about our master's business because we don't know how much time we have. And I'm not suggesting we're all workaholics, but I'm suggesting that we constantly work on things for Christ. We constantly look for opportunities to share Christ. We constantly allow God to use us to be a vessel to serve and bless and be of help to someone else along life's way because we all serve for a time and then that time is gone. The second thing I want to see in this passage is our lives can touch many people. In Romans chapter 14, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Our lives touch so many people, and only in heaven will it dawn on us the many lives that our lives touched. I was reading a, a story about a man who uh, was impressed by God to go to a coffee shop and witness and tell this person he knew about Jesus Christ. And this was a pastor. And the pastor knew that the Spirit of God was speaking to his heart about going to this coffee shop and witnessing to this owner. And so he obediently did that. He went, and he went to share the gospel with this uh, owner, and he knew that this owner was an atheist. He knew he'd tried before, and every time he was shut down, but he thought, well, the Spirit of God's telling me to go. So I, he went, and he started witnessing to this individual, and the individual uh, said, uh, listen, you know I don't believe that stuff. 
And he said, I know, but I, we're having Easter coming up, and Easter's about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And would you please come to church this Easter? It's only uh, two Sundays away. Would you please come this Easter? And he said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to a church. I don't believe in the resurrection. And he said, wait a minute, there's power in the resurrection. There's evidence in the resurrection. The word of God says the resurrection changed everything. And because of the resurrection, I'm a believer. And he tried every way passionately to share the gospel. And yet the guy shut him down and said, listen, I'm telling you, I'm just not interested. I'm not coming to church on Easter. He said, okay. Well, he gets back in his car. He's driving home and he said, Boy, that was a wasted effort. God, what was that about? You told me to go there. I thought, sure, there'd be some results, but no, he's still not interested. Well, it was interesting. About a year later, he was preaching in the church, and uh, at the church, there was a couple that came down, a family. It was a husband and wife and two children, and they said, we'd like to join the church. We need to get baptized first, but we want to be a part of this church. And the guy says, well, have you ever visited our church before? He says, well, yeah, I have. He said, it's an interesting story. He said, you know, about a year ago, he said, I was working in a coffee shop, and I was changing the pipes of a sink, and I was laying down on the floor, and someone came in, and it might have been you because he sounds a lot like you. I never saw the man but the man started talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was inviting the owner to go to the Easter service, and the owner wasn't interested. But as I lay there working on that plumbing, I started thinking, I sure need Jesus in my life. He said, after that, he said, I, I got in my car, and I got on the phone, and I told my wife, I said, get the kids ready, because we are going to church on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, to this church because we need Jesus. He said, that Sunday morning, my wife and I and our two children walked down the aisle. We all four got saved. Now, it's taken us a while to grow to this point, but we understand that not only do we need to be saved, we need to grow in grace. And so we said, we got to get in church. And so here we are as a family. See, we will have lives that we touch by the Spirit of God that we know nothing about until we get to heaven. None of us live unto ourselves, and none of us die unto ourselves. And so God has a way of using us in ways that mostly we will never hear about this side of heaven. Imagine the little boy that gave the five loaves and two small fishes, and, and he saw the miracle that Jesus did. What he didn't know, it was placed in a book. <laughs> what he didn't know is every child that's ever been to Sunday school read about his story. Now, his name is not given, but no doubt this little boy is wandering around in heaven as well, and one day we'll cross paths with him, and we'll say, what's your story? He said, well, it's, it's not much. He said, but I did get to see Jesus one day. Well, that, that beats you and I. We have not seen him until we get to heaven. And he'll tell the story of how he, he gave his lunch and the Lord used it and it fed a multitude. And we'll say, you're the boy. You're the one. Wow, I read about you. In fact, I've taught Sunday school lessons about you. In fact, I've taught messages about you. In fact, 
You are a popular little boy. Well, it's just an amazing thing. We're going to find in heaven that not only do we serve for a time, but our lives touch many people. Every single life. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to be a, te a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be on the stage in some church. I mean, just as a little old believer in Jesus Christ, he uses your life. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And it may be that you're a really good Christian, and maybe you're not so good a Christian, but the truth is, he'll use any old Christian. Because, see, our goodness comes from Christ. Our salvation is wrapped up in a person, not in a performance. And so it's not how good we are. It's who we chose to trust as our personal Savior. And so because of that, our lives touch other people. Now, in this particular passage, we see Elijah. And it's interesting that he's touching the life of a wicked king. A wicked king. He's not a godly king. The Bible says he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He has no heart for God, but somehow God has given him a heart for God's man. And the Bible says he's weeping when he comes to visit Elisha, who's sick. And he says, oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And here he is just weeping over this man. You see, he touched a life in such an amazing way. And, and don't think the unsaved don't appreciate your efforts. They might shut you down, they might, but listen, they have to respect someone who believes in Christ and is willing to share him. And so let me tell you, continue to live for Christ with the confidence that whether we know it or not, God is using us. Like pawns on a chessboard, he moves us whithersoever he will. And we all have different functions, we all have different roles. Uh, uh, different uh, abilities and all of that, but we're all useful in the hand of the master. Every single one of us. Educated, uneducated, rich, poor, everyone in between. We all, because we know Christ, he can use us in a great and mighty way. So in this passage, he's even affected the life of that wicked king. Years ago, the con con uh, communist government in China uh, was trying to uh, discredit someone who was quite famous. That was Hudson Taylor, who had the Inland China Mission. And the ministry of Hudson Taylor uh, started out very small, but had a profound effect upon China way back when. But they also knew that many generations of people were still looking to Hudson Taylor as their spiritual father. And so they, got, they found a man in, in literature, and they paid him to write a book that discredited, discredited him. He said, we want you to make Hudson Taylor look like a crook. Make him look like an immoral person. We want you to rewrite his story, and we will print it out all throughout China, and that will discredit, and that will stop his influence in our country once for all. And so a man who was also a communist said, yes, I'll, I'll take that if you pay me enough. And of course, they did. They offered that. 
And so he started working on it, and he was researching, and the more he researched the life of Hudson Taylor, the more he said, this is a godly man. This is a good man. This is a man who has something I don't have. And so before he finished the book, he threw the manuscripts in the trash and knelt down and personally trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. I'm just saying, the power of your life is an amazing thing, and you can touch so many people that you never imagined. And Hudson Taylor's been off the scene for a long time and still touching lives. Remember the Bible says of, uh, of uh, the first uh, man who was murdered, Abel, it says, he being dead yet speaketh. Boy, that's been a long time ago, right? Uh, one of the first two boys born in the world. But God can use our lives far greater. The third thing we see is our desires to help people. In verses 16 through 19, we have this unusual thing that takes place, and, and here's Elijah on his deathbed, but he stands up with the last residing strength that he has, and he, he goes over to the king, and he says, get your bow, and go to the window, and get an arrow, and I want you to shoot it out the window. And so here's the king, Joash, king of Israel, and he gets the bow, and he gets the arrow, but wait a minute, Elisha's not through. Elisha, this elderly man of God, walks over unsteadily, perhaps, but he comes to the king, and, and he puts his hand on the hand that holds the bow. And he puts his hand around his back to the arm that holds the arrow. And he says, now shoot. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Now that was more than just a symbolic thing. Remember, it was Elijah's mantle that fell on him, that was placed on him when he was called. It was Elijah's mantle that he caught as it was floating down from heaven. It was Elijah's mantle that he hit the river with, and it parted. I'm just saying there's, there's power, especially in the Old Testament. God empowered a man who, uh, somehow unknown to us, was able to empower another by the Spirit of God, no doubt about that. It wasn't that he had the power, but the power of God rested in him, and the power of God was with him as he held the king's hand, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and now you're going to smite Syria. Now, Syria was one of the mortal enemies of Israel. And he said, now you're going to beat them in battle. And then he takes those arrows, and he said, hold them in your hand. And he says, smite the ground. And he does it three times and stay. And here's this old man of God, and he gets upset. You should have done it more. He said, every time you hit the ground, it represented another time you would win the battle against Syria. Why did you stop? You should have just kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. Now, keep in mind that the king did not know what that meant. Or maybe he would have hit it more. He didn't know what that meant. But what he did know is he was asked by a man of God to do it. 
And when you're asked to do something by God or a man of God or the word of God, you should do it. And so he's smiting the ground. Let me just tell you that God wants to use us in unusual ways. And as a man who has so many days and life is a vapor, we're here to help. Help as many people as you can. Love as many people as you can. Encourage as many people as you can. In fact, don't think about your aches and pains and arthritis and uh, all the different things in your life. Look to pour yourself in the lives of others because the Spirit of God lives in you. The Spirit of God may be not be upon you like he was on Elisha, but the Spirit of God is better than that. It is in you as a believer. And when you're a blessing to someone, the Spirit of God is ministering through you. And so we need to remember that and have a desire to help other people. The Bible tells us about Naaman, and here he comes to Elisha, and he's a leper. And Elisha should, you know, he says, hey, listen, you're, you're the general of the army of Syria. Why should I help you? You are our mortal enemy. But you know, even Christians are told, love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. See, even back then, followers of God knew that they're supposed to help everyone. And so he says, go dip in the River Jordan seven times. And sure enough, he does. He got, has to be talked to by his servant. But when he does, he comes out with pure skin. I'm just saying, we're here to help everyone. There's people in this world that are diametrically opposed to everything we stand for as believers, and yet the Word of God says, love them. We love them. Now, we're not for their lifestyle. We're not for what they stand for. We're, we're perhaps not for this liberal cause, that liberal cause, this thing, that thing, this amorality. We're, we're not for what they're for, but we know that in that person resides an eternal spirit, an eternal soul, and we want even them to come to faith in Christ. We want them to go to heaven someday. And the Bible says we're to do good to all men, especially they of the household of faith, but that all men includes people who are not of the household of faith. Help others. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, the verse I just paraphrased, as we have therefore opportunity, let us good, do good unto all men, especially they who are of the household of faith. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16 says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. That word communicate means to give to. It doesn't mean talk to. It means to give to. It's share of your resources with others. And God's not saying give away everything you have, but he's saying as often as you can, use what God has given you to be a blessing for others. Remember the blessings of God come to you to go through you. It's not to line your pockets. It's not to have five-car garage attached to your house. The blessings of God come to you to go through you, to reach other people. Why? Well, God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son. There's a story told of a Spanish philosopher. Uh, well, he tells the story, a Spanish philosopher, and he tells about a Roman aqueduct that was built in his home country of Segovia. It was built in 109 A.D., and he says for 18 centuries it provided fresh water to his city and beyond. And it was a wonderful thing. The water was so sweet and fresh, it came from the mountains, and the aqueduct was built in the time of the Romans. But there arose a generation that says, you know, we need to keep this thing for all generations, and we need to make it a museum. So what they did is they got modern iron pipes, and they replaced the aqueduct. And they got these big iron pipes to bring the water down from the mountains, and now the water is no longer flowing through the aqueduct, and it's just there for everyone to see, and they thought now it can stand for all generations. But because the water ceased to flow through it, everything dried up. All the mortar dried up, all the rocks dried up, everything shrunk, and slowly and surely it began to fall apart. The year before COVID, I took a trip to Israel and went with a group from our church, and we looked at one of those aqueducts there at Caesarea. You've probably seen that before if you've been to Israel. And uh, it was interesting. You could just touch the wall, and a rock would fall out into your hand and find its way into your pocket. It was just amazing how that happened. Well, I had to wiggle it a little, just a little so everywhere I went, I had rocks, and I labeled them with a black felt pen. This was from, this was from inside the, the uh, uh, Sea of Galilee. This was inside the tomb. I found all those rocks. Maybe Jesus touched it when he, when he got out of there. But I, I found all these different rocks, and I labeled them. But what happened is, what brought down that aqueduct? Lack of usefulness. And let me tell you as a Christian, we're here for a time, and we're here to serve for a time. And as long as God can use us, we have a purpose. We have a purpose. You say, well, my purpose is to spend time with my family. Hey, listen, we have eternity in heaven, and we'll do that. God's not against family. He's for family. But our purpose has to have some spiritual endeavor that has a meaningful impact in a world in which we live. And so as we love on our family, we ought to also have time to be influencing others for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this thing about a vapor, we never know when it's gone. We never know. We never know when it's just, it's gone. You sat down and your wife or your husband turns to talk to you and, and there's no breath in you. You just sat down and you're gone. And once you're gone, there's, there's nothing they can do to bring you back if it's your time. Here is a man who died, and God used him. 
but he realized his time on earth was for a purpose. And if all he had around him were the enemies of God, he was at least going to love on them and try to spend his life being an influence for the cause of Christ. The last thing I want to say is our influence lives longer than our lives. This is a powerful story because you have this group of people coming and, and they're invading the land as countries did all around Israel. They are again coming and, and stealing their harvest. And so they come and uh, they see a group of men in great fear. They think, we better get out of here. Man, they found us. We better get out of here. We're just a small party and they look like they could get us. So they have a man that's died and they've got to do something with him. You don't drag around a dead body, you know. You can't do that. And you've got to make tracks fast. I can't carry out at weight. But here's a, here's a sepulcher. Here's, here's a little cave. Here's a place we can lower him down in. And so they simply lower him down in it and he touches the bones of Elisha. Now, wait a minute. He doesn't know who Elisha is. He has, he has no concept of that. They don't know it's his tomb. Elijah, he's already in Abraham's bosom waiting for the, the resurrection so Jesus can take him from paradise to heaven. He's already in the waiting place. He doesn't know what's going on as well. But the man touches the bones of Elisha and he jumps up out of there fully alive. Now what that simply is telling us that the influence of our life lives longer than our life. Lives longer than our life. Now, you might say, well, people will forget who I am. Well, they didn't know who Elisha was. There was no plaque on it that said, this is Elijah, the great and mighty prophet. They didn't know who that was. So sure, they'll forget your name. They'll forget my name. By the way, we do not live for the accolades of this world anyway. Who cares if there's name on, if we put it, they're going to put my name on a building. Well, 10 years later, people see the name, but they, don't have, they have no clue who that is. It's just a name. It means nothing to them. And we are not living so that our name may be known. We're living that Christ may be known. And we're simply vessels that he can use for a time. But if we are faithful in serving the Lord long after we're gone, long after we're gone, God will some way, somehow, use the influence of our lives long after we're gone. Now you might ask, how's he going to do that? I don't know, but I just know the Word of God is full of illustration after illustration after illustration of Jesus doing just that, using a life. The Bible tells us about the faith of Abraham, the faith of Gideon, the faith of all those in Hebrews chapter 11. They were long gone to anyone in the New Testament but the effect of their life lived on. You and I have one life. Let's use it for the cause of Christ. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.